On the program today, we have uh, State Representatives Dick Lowe and Brad Bowl. So, gentlemen, thanks for coming in, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, kind of a review of the legislative session, uh, Dick Lowe. So, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, George. Thank you for having us again. Uh, seems like it's been a quick session, yeah. but in some days it seems like it was a long session. <laughs> we're glad to get back and try to do a wrap-up. Right. Uh, so, Brad, uh, so to you, thanks for coming in. Uh, I know we got a lot to talk about because... Both you guys got a lot of work done, uh, you and the rest of the legislature. We did, and George, it's great being here again, and we always appreciate you having us on here. And, uh, you know, it seems like just a few days ago we were here talking about, you know, back in early February, talking about what we were going to do for session. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's went by fast, and uh, excited to be back here to give you an update. And uh, as we look in the rearview mirror now, uh, kind of give us a grade, Brad, of what you think, uh, how you guys did this year. Well, I may be a little biased, but, you know, I would say – I would say you would get an A this year. An A, wow. Maybe good. A minus because okay. there's always room for improvement, right? right? There's right. always there's things that we didn't get done that we'd like to get done, um, but uh, but I, I do think we accomplished a lot this year. And in the fourth, this is my fourth session to be at the Capitol, and I think this is the most productive session that we've had since I've been there. All right, uh, Dick, how about you? You know, I, I'd have to agree with Brad. This is a, an A A minus. We did. A lot of good things. We left some things that on the table that we need to work on yet, and that's what we're going to be working on. I would say without a question, it's my best session. Of course, of course. it's my first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very tickled with all the, th the things we were able to do. It's, it's such a learning curve, and I know uh, Representative Bowles would tell you that uh, – the learning curve is unreal, unreal how fast you have. But I've uh, been very fortunate, and, and actually uh, Brad's helped me a lot to understand and, and be able to work through this. So your relationships you build up here with the other legislators is key. But I, I think that uh, as we, we both would come back in, there's, there's some things that we've talked about that already that we want to look at for next year. And so you can't give us an A, A-plus, but uh, hey, anytime we get an A-grade, I'm going to take it close. And uh, a better budget than uh, you had hoped at the beginning of the session, for sure. So For sure, yeah. Coming out of a pandemic uh, when many states have billion-dollar deficits and having to raise taxes to, uh, to plug in those uh, deficits, Oklahoma, we uh, have a billion-dollar surplus and actually are cutting taxes for our people and businesses and still have a billion-dollar surplus, record education uh, investments and infrastructure investments. So... You know, in Oklahoma, we're doing things differently than most states around us. Right, and uh, $9.1 billion, I believe, is the final count, Dick, if I remember uh, some of the publications I've seen. Yes, that's the, that's the number we, uh, and I'm sitting here looking at it too, George, is $9.1 billion. It, it, it's still hard for me to use that word billion. It is. I right? mean, that's just, I know if we, probably the listeners out there today go, what in the world are we talking about? But uh, Oklahoma has a big economy, and, and we're a very robust economy. I think if we look back at it when we were here in February, we were actually looking at $1.2 billion shortfall. And when, when the numbers were certified, we were looking at one six to one nine above. So we had a big turnaround. And, you know, I'm going to give credit where a little bit where credit's due. Uh, whether you love our governor or hate him, he kept our state open. And we kept going in Oklahoma. And, and that made a big, big difference in our budget that uh, we, you know, I'm, we all really tickled that oil and gas prices came back. And that's a help for two. But when we kept our people working and kept our economy going, it, it, was, it was big for us. Yeah, and I totally agree. And, you know, in the previous year's budget, we actually uh, only spent 78% of what we allocated. Or actually, we only spent 78% of what we could have spent. And so we knew this was going to be a tough year. And so we set our baseline a lot lower this past year, knowing that there could be a lot more downturn coming. And fortunately, our economy stayed right on track or even actually 
outperformed what we thought it would be. So whenever you plan to spend less money than you think you can have to spend and actually earn more money than what you think you're going to get, it's a good combination. And really, that's not because of us. That's because of the Oklahomans out there that buckled up, worked hard, uh, did it safely through the pandemic. And I think Oklahomans show that we can actually work safely and effectively at the same time. Of course, a uh, population of just four million. I mean, we, we weren't impacted as good a percent, or, you know, numbers wise with the with the coronavirus. Uh, but still, the session started in February. That was about the time it kind of peaked, I think, in Oklahoma. Then has started going way down. Of course, we had the vaccinations and all that going on. So, uh, good to get folks uh, back to work and uh, keep the economy rolling. That's right. In the vaccinations, in Oklahoma. I think that we had one of the top ten states in the country as far as people vaccinated per capita. And so our state uh, health, our state health department, our county health departments did a great job of implementing the uh, the vaccines. Our people in Oklahoma did a great job of signing up the people that wanted to, you know, in Oklahoma, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, freedom here in Oklahoma. So the people that want to get them, I think have most of them got it. And the people that uh, have chosen not to have it, but, um, but I do feel like most of the people that uh, for the reasons that they feel they want to be better protected, mm-hmm. have have gotten those vac- vaccinations. Let's talk about the education budget a little bit and a, a big increase, and that's going to lower some class sizes, I guess, in sm- some of the smaller grades. Well, I'll let uh, the Mr. Vice Chair here of education uh, <laughs> get started on that one, Representative yeah. Lowe. Well, thank you, Representative. You know, when you spend money, everybody says you're in charge. Yes. But uh, I do serve as vice chair of education, and budget, and appropriations, which is about 52 to 53% of the budget. And so we do look at some big numbers. And uh, But, yes, uh, education, we are at record numbers of dollars spent in education right now in this new budget. We actually increased the education, just common education, I'm talking about K through 12, is $171 million higher than what we spent last year. And that's on top of all the CARES money that came from federal. So we really did do a job there. Uh, of course, career tech got a little bit increase, higher ed got some increase, but overall education, is we, we did help them funding wise. But the other things we did besides just funding is we made some reforms this year and some of the reforms within within the education realm. I tell you, some people might not like them up front, but when you really analyze them, there's some things that's very positive. Probably going to have the best parental control of education we've ever had in this state and probably in the state around us. Yeah, and I totally agree. You know, I ran four years ago for office, and public education at the doorsteps was one of the biggest issues facing Oklahoma at the time in 2018. And you know, I was a product of public education at Marlowe Public Schools. My kids both go to public education. And so that's a big topic for really my whole my whole district that I represent. And since the past four years, we've actually increased annual public education spending in our budget by $776 million, which is about 25% increase over four years. And so we've made a big investments in public education at the state capitol over the past four years. And with that being said, it's the largest education budget in state history, and we've given the largest teacher pay raises in state history over the past four years. So the, the legislature has made big investments in public ed, and we feel like uh, with the investments in public ed and the reforms that we made, we're going to be uh, on the track for the right progress. Are we keeping up with the salary increases in the neighboring states? I know that was a big issue a few years ago about teacher pay. So. Are, are, are they increasing uh, their teacher pay as well? So where do we sit uh, kind of in the region? Do we have some studies on that? 
Well, that's one thing. It's a little bit of no misnomer because people mm-hmm. keep saying, "Oh, they just look at salaries when you and, and look at the in the budget in there." When you start looking at true salaries, the other states that are above us are also putting their flex benefits in there. So talking about health insurance and all the retirement, all is counted in their teacher pay. We keep that separate, which makes ours look smaller. But actually, when you put them together, we're doing better. We're one of the top ones in our area, in in our region. Now, when you put that all together. But we always need to be sure we're comparing apples against apples. So sometimes that makes us not – if you look at those raw numbers, like, oh, no, we're still way behind. Well, that's what's true. And, and I know we have a lot of teachers that will be listening this morning. And, and I was a teacher. My parents were both teachers. It's important to me to be able to make a good wage as a teacher. But uh, we're, we make this move, just as, as Brad said, uh, we've had the largest – teacher increase in pay in the last four years in history we're, we're doing our best to put it we just we we only have so many dollars now mm-hmm. i know our budget was good but we don't have so many but when you talk about you put 171 million dollars additionally into it that was a big year so you mentioned some reforms you said there's more parental control uh in public schools now uh what else we do we, you know we talk about per parental concerns and, and one thing is we have an open transfer policy now in the state of Oklahoma and there's some some rules that go along with that but uh, what we want is this we want those students to be in the best position to do the best that they can wherever that school is not say well that's that's your area code that's where that's your zip code that's where you live and that's where you're going to school we want those each and every student to do absolutely the best that they can for them. So we've opened that up there. Uh, we also, um, you know, I'll go back even to the school. We just passed, um, uh, took care of the mass mandate as- aspect. Hopefully we never have to deal with it again. We all do. But we want that local control. That needs to be under local control. We don't need the state and federal making all these decisions. This needs to be for Chickasha Public Schools, Nenecal Public Schools, El- Amber, Pocahontas, Marlowe, whoever it is. They need to do the best for theirs. So we've, we've opened those things up. Um, so we, we made some control issues Put it back home. Don't don't send Dis Dicklo and Brad Bowles to make those decisions. Let's let the people here in Grady County and in our surrounding areas make those decisions. Well, and those locally elected school boards are elected by the local citizens of these school districts, so uh, they're closer to the people that and these people represent elected them to represent their schools. So we feel like they are in a better position to make those decisions. Some discussion too about uh, the private school setting. There's uh, some discussion at the state capitol. Uh, this session, the, the governor was wanting to give some more money to private schools, and so that was. Uh, <clears throat> well, we, we kind of took care of some of that. I was telling you, it seemed like the last couple of days, we're in a bill we call the Red Bud Bill, which will take some money uh, that was basically going to go to some private and charter schools through the decision of states, the uh, virtual state school the settlement, board, the settlement yeah. there. We uh, put that money together with, along with some marijuana medical marijuana money and we call and put that out and we're helping the low end schools not just throw it in the budgets and say everybody gets peace we're trying to bring those low end schools that don't have as much avalorum as other schools it's on a rated deal and we're going to help those schools that are not having that avalorum that's that's a great deal and so uh, you know there's always going to be private school talk out there i'm just going to tell you it's always out there Fortunately, we, uh, good, better. Otherwise, we don't have a lot of private schools, so it doesn't affect us quite as much as it does in some of the urban areas. Well, and the, there was a bill out there, too, that gave uh, basically it gave incentives. Really, the best tax credit incentive in the state of Oklahoma now is to education, private and public. And so you can give, I believe, a $2,000 donation to, uh, what's say, Chickasha Public Schools and get a 50% tax credit for that donation. 
then obviously the other 50% would be a tax write-off as well. But, uh, you know, there's not a better tax incentive in the state of Oklahoma. But the private schools also get that same benefit as well. And so that's where some of the controversy came in. Mm -hmm. And so, but in each schools, uh, public schools can go up to $200,000 a year in donations. So it really gives more incentives for investors or just people in the communities to get back to their public school and get a really good tax break doing it. Brad, you ran a, a bill this session to uh, help uh, veterans uh, buying homes. Yes. Yeah, so actually, uh, I had a, a constituent come up to me uh, in the interim and talk about how they just moved to a property on a lake out east in my district. And the, la- the lake's owned by the city, and all the land around the lake's owned by the city. And they have like a 99-year lease on that land, but they can't own the land. And in the state statute, it says that you can get, if you're a fully disabled vet or veteran, you can get a uh, homestead exemption, but you have to own the house and the property under it. Well, if your property is owned by the city because the city owns a property around the lake, you'll never own that property. Therefore, they could never get that homestead exemption. And so I talked to some of the county uh, assessors in the area, and there's only a few families in each county that I talked to that have this issue because there's not many fully disabled veterans that own a house on a city-owned property. Mm-hmm. It's very unique situations. But these are fully disabled veterans. They fought, in, you know, for our freedom and felt like, you know, these these families deserve this exemption. And so ran a bill and fixed that loophole in our law so now that these families can get this. And I think the average family, this is about $800 a year to $1,000 a year exemption. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but, you know, if, if you live on that property for 20 years, that could be up to $20,000 mm-hmm. uh, to your budget. And uh, if you're fully disabled... Uh, you know, this is a big deal for your, your income. And so I was happy to do that. And, you know, when you talk about 77 counties in the state of Oklahoma, this could help a few hundred families across our state. Put a little more money in their pocketbook. That's right. That'd be good. That's right. All right. Uh, Dick, one of the uh, first bills you kind of uh, kind of spearheaded was a uh, big issue with the driver's license uh, backup situation and the real ID and all that. So... One of the that's one of the first things you worked on when you got up there. That was, and, and actually that idea came when I was out knocking doors. Mm-hmm. And we kept hearing it every day. This driver's license issue, trying to give her a driver's license, is really an issue. So, uh, actually, I ran a, a bill that would let you let career techs, colleges, and some high schools even be able to give the written test for the operator's license. Actually, there were there were two companion bills in there, and I had one to deal with the operators. Brad had also the one that deal with CDLs. And Which we so, didn't actually find out about until we were on this show in January. Yes, yeah, yeah. We found out we were running kind of a similar bill. That's yeah. true. And so uh, we ran those companion bills. Both of them went through uncontested. I, I know I never had a single vote. Both of us never had a vote against those all the way through the House nor, or the Senate either. So uh, and we got them both signed in laws. Now, we wished we could say that one that one bill or both those bills immediately straightened up everything. We had more issues than just that, but it's a start. We had to do, but it was something, most of the bills I looked at, I ran were bills that would, would help somebody. They weren't flashy. They weren't in the news all the time, but they were helpful. And I think just like the one Brad talked about, if we can help people, that's what we're there for. And so uh, I, I enjoyed that bill and being, being my first one bills. I think we're actually going to do a, a ceremonial signing on it here pretty soon. And I'm kind of excited about getting your first bill signed and, and uh, at least see the governor sign 
find something. And uh, then I also ran a bill. I'm going to go back to education a bit because I had a bill that came to me through uh, through a group that's uh, safe seizures of schools. Uh, we have kids that have seizures, uh, have an, a history of seizures in schools, and our schools so many times aren't prepared for that. So the um, epilepsy group has agreed to do all the training for free for every, st- every teacher that wants to do it. And so we put a bill together with this group that each t- each school will have one person at, at the location that's gone through this 45-minute quick training online to understand if they have a seizure, they can help that student. We don't want to lose a student life because we're not prepared. And so that one went through uh, un- pretty much uncontested too. So I was v- very honored to have those two as my first two to go across. Let's talk about uh, redistricting a little bit. And I know that was... Uh interesting for for both of you gentlemen they do it every 10 years and uh, so some improvements that it looks like uh, made in in both of your regions it looks like that's right so we passed redistricting in the house and that went through the senate the governor mm-hmm. signed in a law but it's still contingent on getting the final census numbers back and so in the house we have a two and a half percent deviation so once we get the census numbers back our population that we have to have that we voted on in the House on our plan, as long as it's within a 2.5% deviation, then we're, we should be good. Mm-hmm. But if our numbers come back in our districts that we just voted on and we're off by more than 2.5% up or down, we may have to come back and tweak it a little. And so we're hoping that we're going to be within the deviation. We went off the 2019 numbers. And so that's, that's what we're going off of. But in my district, uh, I'm going to lose the community of Velma Elma in Stevens County, and I'm going to pick up – uh, Central High in District 51, mm-hmm. which is Western Stevens County. Right. Between uh, Duncan and Martin. Uh, that's right. Martin. Yep, yep. That's right. The so Broncos. The Broncos. Right. Yes. So that's my change in Stevens County. Okay. Uh, in Grady County, um, really one of the bigger changes will be uh, I'm picking up Rush Springs, the Redskins, mm-hmm. picking up the Rush Springs Redskins. And, uh, and really uh, the Bridge Creek area is pretty much staying the same. And I'm losing my McLean County. Uh, area that mm-hmm. I had and so those are really the the big changes that I have in my district all right Dick you had a little bigger district to to, to work with so uh, what I, are some I, did, there? I yeah. did have a very big district uh, district 56 right now and, and it will through a year from November mm-hmm. until we have the next election uh, but who we will represent will continue to represent the areas sure. that we've had. But it went from uh, basically uh, the edge of the southwest corner of Tuttle all the way to Roosevelt and Hobart, about 90 miles across there. So it's changing up quite a bit. Now, and people say, well, did you ask for a change? We really don't. We have no input on that. It's really input from the uh, – from the public, we it, had public hearings, it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we had tremendous amount of input from District Fifty Six, the things that they wanted to see, and so on. It had to change a little bit because we're losing population in Western Oklahoma, and we didn't want to lose a seat out there. And the people out there wanted to keep that seat. Therefore, my district really had to do quite a bit of change, and I'm probably changing 52 percent of my district will be new district to me, and uh, which for a fresh after first thing, that's a lot. I'm gonna tell you, it's a lot, but it's a good district. I hate to lose some of the areas I've had. I mean, I had a great uh, district, but I will lose everything in Kiowa County. I won't have anything in Kiowa County. With the redistricting, the line will be where I will lose Anadarko and I will lose Fort Cobb. I will basically be north of Fort Cobb Lake, all the way north through Caddo County, all the way to I-40. We go Hydro, Hinton, 
uh, Eakley area. I'll actually have the southwest quarter of uh, Canadian County, which is pretty much a rural farming area, which just happens to fit me awfully well anyway. Sure. <laughs> and I'm going to pick up my big pickup is going to be Tuttle. I will pick up almost entire Tuttle. Brad will have a little bit to the south of Tuttle, but I'll have biggest part of a Tuttle go all the way to the Tuttle line. People are used to Tri-City. I'll almost go to Tri-City. So the district changes a little bit. It becomes a little more compact. I think it goes from about 1,800 square miles to 1,100 square miles, which uh, Miss Judy, my campaign partner, will enjoy not driving as many miles. I know that. <laughs> what about on the south, the south edge of uh, your district? The south edge pretty much stays the same. Brad and I uh, split. Chickasha, right. almost, almost so identical. It, yeah. it, it may change either, sa- either side of the turnpike, basically. That's basically, basically. We, forty-four yeah. splits us, yeah. and it, it works out well. Uh, actually, someone said Chickasha. Well, we'd like to have just one. Well, you have two. Guess what? You got two votes up there, and that's even better for you because uh, Brad and I are both always fighting for the Chickasha area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to bring up another thing as we go back in there because I, I had to hit yesterday as I talked with some people here in town. Is uh, we did pass a uh, new aspect to help funding the state the city of Chickasha and other towns and that there is a possibility we the bill has passed for fire and police protection that you can pass the city can pass an ad valorem tax that'll be has to be passed on a 60 percent basis and it exempts all agriculture it's in the city limits so all everything deal with agriculture but it helps with the finance in the city and i know that's been big for every city i know we'll uh, all the cities that Brad represents as well as I do, funding is, is a big issue. We're one of the few states that have been totally on sales tax. But this is going to be a help that they can do if the cities choose to pass that, a, uh, put an avalanche tax upon themselves. So that's a bill that's being considered or it's been passed or then signed? Or is it waiting for the governor to give us a... It's passed and signed. Really? It is now law. Wow. It so it's up to the, ci- the citizens. Right. The city council I, would have to put it on yes. the ballot and the citizens would have to pass it. I was it. not aware of that. So that's uh, that's great news. Well, so, I, I, as I told the person, I, I'm an ag guy. Avalorm is always a four-letter word to ag people. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to go up. And we don't want, but I also rep, represent Chickasha, Tuttle, and all these small towns. It's important to them to survive. Uh, I won't tell anybody that was an easy vote for me, but it's a vote that, it, that helped our cities, and that's what, we, what I'm here to do is represent everybody, not just my ag background. Uh, transportation uh, funding is going to be going up, and there's a little – discussion about the eight-year plan among the Transportation Commission from what I uh, remember. Uh, but looks like uh, the funding's intact and the eight-year plan is, is good to go. Brad? That's correct. So uh, this budget puts $186.9 million in the transportation, which is a 9.9% increase compared to last year. And so it keeps the eight-year plan fully funded, which is a big deal. The eight-year plan gives the Department of Transportation a, an opportunity to plan out eight years of projects then every year we just continue to fund that plan. And, you know, it takes a long time to plan out, you know, these roads and bridges and the plan that they have because you got to go through uh, construction. Well, the construction process is at the very end. The The beginning is engineering, and then you got to do right-of-ways, and you got to go through this whole utilities, utilities all, yeah. all this mm-hmm. process that takes years to develop. And so that's why it's important to have an eight-year process to from start to finish. And you mentioned there's going to be some more funding for counties, for streets and bridges and things like that? That's great. Yes, it is. In, in the budget year, this year, we increased road, county roads and bridges. It's called CIBR. is counties, roads, and bridges. Uh, I can tell you, I got a hold of the numbers the other day. The increase, the increase, not the amount, the increase for Caddo County 
was just short of three quarter million dollars. Grady County is just short of a million do- or half million dollars. So we've got more money coming to our counties to work on roads and bridges. We all know that it's not based. It's based on a couple of things. Number one is number of miles of road that you have. Your population comes into it too. But uh, I can tell you the rural did much better than urban in this aspect. So uh, very glad to see the the rural Oklahoma. We're starting to get some help in there because we all know our, our county's roads and bridges are, are in, in real tough shape. Do you know what the, how Stevens County came out of that? They uh, came right? out, I believe, like three hundred something thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and that's not even counting GPT. So with the price of oil and gas going up, gross production tax, yeah, gross production tax. So that's going up, which is a huge. I think Stevens and Grady County are in the top five counties in the state of Oklahoma in gross production tax, which is a big driver to our economic or really our our county funding. So that'll be very important. Something else to mention in our budget that I think will be important to our our listeners is we put 42 million dollars in rural broadband tax incentives and while that's important is a lot of the rural areas these broadband companies it's not they just can't make any money going out to rural areas because the the cost of getting infrastructure out to those areas there's not enough people to pay for those services to make it a an economic you know business model for these companies so the state's giving these people these economic incentives and sales tax incentives to go out to rural areas to make it a business model that will actually make sense. And so that should drive economic activity out to these rural areas. So we know it's important with the pandemic and really with a lot of companies now saying, hey, you can work from home. We feel like there's a lot of people that would love to live in rural Oklahoma now that they can you know, work from home, maybe start moving out to rural Oklahoma to work from home, but still keep their job maybe in Oklahoma City or Dallas or Tulsa but move back to rural Oklahoma where they're from. And so we think that could be a good opportunity for Grady County, Stevens County, uh, really to to grow and prosper in the future. We had uh, Congressman Frank Lucas on the program a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they're also working on the federal level to to get uh, broadband service expanded to. That's right. So if we can take our state money and match that with the federal money, it becomes a really big, uh, big incentive. A lot of those programs are two to three match. So if we've got a dollar, we can get $3 for it off federal. We just quadrupled the amount of dollars we had, and, and that's what we thought was so critical. Uh, as you can see today, we probably jumped around a little bit like we do at the at the house. Sometimes you jump around the issues, you never know what's hitting. I, I think another couple of things that, that was really big, and it follows along with this, is we also voted and passed a, a decrease in your income tax this year. First time we've seen that in a long time. We'll be decreasing state income tax. Across all tax brackets. Across all mm-hmm. tax brackets. Evenly. And so uh, also we reduced corporate tax by 2%. We want to be competitive with other states around us. I think this, I'm going to hit a few other things, Brad, that we talked that we did pass. We, we passed the Second Amendment state. We are Oklahoma's a sec, Second Amendment sanctuary state. We passed the 10th Amendment bill, which says any time there is an executive order that comes down that is not constitutional, that our uh, legislation can tell the Attorney General, you fight that, we're not going to follow that, we're going to follow what the Constitution says. Those were big. Um, uh, just some other things. I, th- I think the number one thing we haven't talked about almost is the the medical marijuana issue, especially the rural grows. We've got some work done on it. Not as much as we'd like. I'd be real honest. We uh, every time you pass a law, you have to look out how that affects other areas, not just the medical marijuana, good, bad, or otherwise. So th- that's something we'll be continue to work on. Hopefully, you talked, you talked earlier this week about uh, 
you know, the Oklahoma licenses are a lot cheaper than they are in oh. California or some of the other states. They are. So. And you have to realize that when we passed it back June to put that in, or two years ago when we brought that in, we brought it in as a state referendum, which immediately puts it constitutional. We can't change the Constitution as a legislature. We can only change statute. So we didn't make those laws. We have to live with what's in there. And, and so some of those issues are, are, are a little bit hard to uh, to be to working against but we're continue actually i'm hoping to visit with the governor here uh later this week uh sit down visit and make sure he understands how how uh, critical it's getting to be especially in real oklahoma because it's becoming a real issue to especially, us especially uh, foreign investors into uh oklahoma land so brad any final thoughts this morning yeah you know another thing on the the budget that i want to mm -hmm. mention is you know four years ago when i ran for office it was we had a huge deficit as well that year and one thing that people at the door always talked about is we need to have a stable budget. We're tired of the ups and downs. We're tired of, uh, you know, huge surpluses one year, then huge cuts the next year, and up and down, up and down. So one thing we did the last few years that I think people want to know about is when years were really well, we actually put money in savings account. Then we had the pandemic years the past couple of years. And what we did was we were able to pull from our savings to fill gaps. That's the rainy day fund. That's the basically. rainy day fund. We built it up to a billion dollars during the pandemic. We actually pulled from that almost $800 million over the past two years, pulled from that to plug in our budget holes to keep our core agencies functional. We had very minimal cuts to education, Department of Transportation, healthcare, all these important things. Well, now that we're coming back into a good year, we fully replenished our savings day or our rainy day account back to $1.3 billion, which is the largest we've had in state history. And so it's important that we built that back up again. So if we do have another downturn in the future, we're well prepared to, to handle that. Gentlemen, thanks for coming in today. We appreciate your time. State Representative Brad Bowles and uh, Dick Lowe. Thanks for having us. Thank you, George.